Some of you may be familiar with the name Alfred Nobel. It was April of 1888, and Alfred was at home, and it had been a tough week. He pulled out his newspaper, and he looked in the obituary section. And to his dismay, Alfred found his own obituary. Sort of strange, since he was sitting there reading it while having a cup of coffee. Well, as he read along, he was very confused, as it said that Alfred Nobel, the merchant of death, has now passed away. A little backstory, Alfred came up with what we know today as dynamite, angelic night. He was a, a chemist and thought he was changing the world by coming up with this new feature. But the article said that now that Alfred had passed away, a man who made his living killing people, this was good news for the world. And as you can imagine, Alfred was upset. See, just days before, Alfred's brother, Ludwig, had passed away. And so looking for Alfred's brother's obituary, he finds his own. And he was really taken back by it. He thought, this is the way the world's going to remember me? The merchant of death? And so it was at that moment that Alfred decided that he was going to change the course of his life. And so he donated his fortune to the study of technology and literature and peace. And today, because of Alfred Nobel, we have what's known as the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, peace is an interesting thing. If I was going to go around the room here and I'd say, define peace for me, many of you would probably give me all sorts of different answers. But yet we know what it is. We have an idea what it is. It's like the American dream. For each of us, it might look a little bit differently, but still we have an understanding of what it is we're talking about. At Christmas time, we talk a lot about peace. It's one of those words you see on Christmas cards or on door hangings, peace and love and hope and joy. Have you ever asked yourself, but what really is peace and how do we get it? You know, I think peace is at the root of what Christmas is all about. And I think that's why, if, you, if you've ever noticed, all of our favorite Christmas movies are about finding peace. I mean, just take Buddy the Elf, for instance. You know, Buddy thinks he's an elf for 30 years, realizes that he's not. He's a human, right? He's been shaven since the sixth grade kind of thing. And he finds out he's got a dad in New York. All Buddy wants to do is find his dad to, to solve this family conundrum, to know who he is. How about Clark? If there's anybody that needs peace, it's Clark, right? I mean, if you've watched any of the other movies, you know Clark creates every situation to be a mess. All Clark wants is a good old-fashioned family Christmas, right? How did that go? At least he got a notice to be in the Jelly of the Month Club, which is a nice <laughs> Christmas gift to get. How about Ralphie? I mean, all Ralphie wants is a Red Rider BB gun. And, he, and, and yeah, what does his mom say? Oh, you can't get that. You're going to shoot your eye out. What does he do? Shoots his eye out. But he's going to just have everything he needs. He's going to be at peace if he can just get that BB gun. Or your favorite, your favorite reindeer, old Rudolph. All Rudolph wants is to fit in. All Rudolph wants is to be one of the, the, the fellas. What does he want? He, he wants peace, right? Peace at Christmas time. It's what we want. There's this hope that we can get it. So I guess the question is how? 
It was December of 1914, and um, Christmas Eve in the middle of the Western Front at World War I, and many of you have probably read or heard of this story before. The, the soldiers were wet, they were muddy, they were cold, and all of a sudden, the British troops here across the no-man's land, the German troops, and they're singing Christmas carols. And so they start singing in, they're singing back and forth, and all of a sudden, one of them pops their head off and like, no, 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 don't shoot, don't shoot. Let's talk. How about a truce? And so we see on Christmas Eve, 1914, they have this truce where they they get out and they drink coffee, they play soccer. They put everything to a side on Christmas. It's in this moment they had this beautiful thing that we're all seeking for, this beautiful thing called peace. You know, peace is a funny thing, though. When you think about peace, it's this idea of us getting along. It's this idea of removing conflict from our lives. This idea of peace is solving an issue. Maybe it's a relationship that's frayed, or it's a work situation, or it's political or economical, global. And and we want this peace. We we desire this peace. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem like it lasts, does it? Like, you get get the raise, you, you buy the new house, the peace treaty is signed. It's, like, really good for a bit. But then it seems like, for whatever reason, that peace seems to just vanish a little bit at a time until we look back and we go, man, where'd it go? I mean, where is the peace? You know, I wonder, is this really possible that there's this time that we can really get along? Because in December 26, 1914, shots were fired again. And Buddy's dad, Walter, he was still a crotchety book salesman. And Ralphie did shoot his eye out, right? And Clark, have you seen Vegas Vacation? I'm telling you, Clark just never figured peace out. So I wonder, is there, is there something different? Is there something deeper? When we think about peace, are we thinking about it like a Band-Aid over a cut? Like, oh, you tore your ACL, I'm so sorry. Here's some Tylenol, right? It'll make you feel better today. But it doesn't last. Is peace deeper? And if it is, what's the cause? See, I wonder today if when we say what we're looking for with peace and we get this taste of it and it doesn't last, is what is deeper, what is below the foundation, could it be it's not just conflict, it's not just this desire for something to be easier, could it be that what we really desire is to solve and fix our restlessness? When I, my youngest, or my middle daughter, Hallie, she's in the back. When Hallie was born, Hallie decided she didn't want to sleep for nine days. And if you guys have ever been on a nine-day not sleeping trip, things just, like, you start having hallucinations. Things get really weird. I was drinking five-hour energies, like, every two hours, which is not a good, not a good thing. And we just remember, I, Courtney would be like, you got to go to the store and try to buy a different kind of pacifier. I went through Seriously, I should have started a company. I went through so many pacifiers. And finally, we found the one that worked. But nine days, and I was tired. I was restless. But I think restlessness is deeper than that. If you guys, you guys have ever walked through a situation where you're just struggling with all types of different emotions and feelings, restlessness isn't just being tired. It's anxious. It's depressed. It's being on the edge. It's feeling rushed, or it's feeling hurried, or it's... All these things, stressed at work, challenges at home, recession looming, challenging economy, all of it can build into a restless 
heart. And when we have a, a restless heart, it's not just that we're tired. We're just kind of wondering, like, what is going on? When are things going to change? And it really messes with our entire life. I want to ask you guys right now, and you don't have to raise your hand because it wouldn't be fair, but anybody restless? Anybody even walking through a season where you're saying, I just need peace because my heart, my soul, my mind, my family, this world is restless. 700 years before Jesus was born, Israel was pretty restless. Israel found itself in a place where it was occupied, where, th- th- there, where, where, where there was this threat of occupation. The Assyrians were threatening to come down and, and attack. The Babylonians were moving into position. The people in Israel had started worshiping false gods. The nation had split. It was a mess. And people were wondering, like, God, you, you said we were your people. Why are things so hard? God, we, you, you said that you were going to work all things out together for good, but I don't see any good. And they were restless. Well, there's a man named Isaiah, and Isaiah was a prophet of God, and God used Isaiah to speak to his people. And Isaiah, he wrote something that I don't think made a lot of sense at the time, but it was a promise for the future. And I want you to see what Isaiah says in the midst of a broken world, fractured by sin, and just looming in restlessness. Notice what God used Isaiah's pen to write. Isaiah 9.6 says this. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and Mighty God, and Everlasting Father, and my favorite, the Prince of Peace. This is 2,700 years ago. 700 years before Jesus was born, God made this promise. Yes, you were restless, and you were living in a dry and weary land, but I'm going to make this promise to you that one day a son will be born, a child will be born, and he's going to be the prince of peace, meaning he's going to bring the peace of God here to us. This is one of the beautiful realities of Christmas. It is that Jesus came to bring a true and lasting peace to our restless hearts. It was the night Jesus was born, and the shepherds were in a field, and it was very dark. There was no glow of the city lights, and the shepherds were sitting around singing James Taylor songs, right, playing on their, their tailor. And all of a sudden, the sky is filled with light, and it's full of angels, and the angels say, hey, don't be afraid. How can I not? Don't be afraid, because today I'm bringing you good news. And notice what they say. They say this in Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, That's the town of Bethlehem, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, don't miss this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. On earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And it says the shepherds, they went They found the house in Bethlehem. They go inside. They see this baby wrapped up in swaddling cloths, and it said they were in awe and wonder that they got to see this beautiful baby who brought peace to the earth. The word peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. Someone say shalom. Shalom doesn't just mean like what we think of when we mean peace. Shalom means wholeness, 
fullness, completeness. It's this, this, this picture of like being full, being restful. And I know that's something we all want. Every single person in this room wants to be restful. We want to be full. We want to be whole. We want to be complete. That's that hope that Christmas has to offer, that we can have that in our hearts and in our souls and in our lives. And what the angels said and what Isaiah said was that Jesus was going to bring a kingdom of peace. Why? Because he's the prince of peace. Now, now people can say a lot of things. I mean, you guys all work with people or know people that make false promises, and so... Can we believe it? Can we trust it? You can learn a lot about someone by the the things, not just that they say, but what? That they do, right? You can tell a lot about someone's life by the way that they actually live. And I I think when we look at the life of Jesus, what we see, we, we see that the baby that was born on Christmas grew up to live a life of peace. You know, it's interesting, if you look at the Bible and you look at the accounts of Jesus' life by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see what the Apostle Paul says about Jesus, you see that Jesus was never restless. He was always, I mean, he had all kinds of challenges in his life, but yet he, he seemed to be at peace. He spoke to people with respect. He seemed to never be anxious or depressed. He just seemed to be peaceful. And not only was Jesus peaceful, but he, not only did he live in perfect peace, but he also was constantly giving peace away. You know, there's this story where Jesus meets the man who's been disabled for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, and he walks over to him, and he says, do you want to be healed? And the man's like, I've been here for 38 years, I've been here for all these years, and nobody will take me to the, the water. And Jesus is like, well, do you want to be healed? He's like, yeah, I want to be healed. He's like, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Think of the restlessness. Think of the lack of peace. All that guy wanted to do was be healed, and Jesus, he healed him. But you know what else he did? He gave him peace. You know, I think about when Jesus meets the woman at the well, and she's hiding. She doesn't even want to go at the normal time because she's ashamed of her past and her infidelity. And so she comes at at noon, and Jesus is there, and he walks up to her, and he asks for a drink. And then he says, I am the living water. If you drink from this well, you will never be thirsty again. And she says, I want that so bad. He says, I'll give it to you. She was restless. Her heart was weary. And Jesus said, I come to give you peace. I think of Martha and Mary, their Lazarus has died. Their brother, he's in, he's in a cave. He's passed away. They asked Jesus to come help, and he didn't come in time. Like there's just restlessness because he was too young, too loved. It was too early. We didn't have enough time. And Jesus said, Lazarus, as Pete preached a few weeks ago, come on out. He gave the family peace. See, the, the amazing news is this Prince of Peace, the one at perfect peace, promises to give us that peace. And so that, 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 that peace that Isaiah promised, the Prince of Peace, 700 years before, he was here. And he came and he lived a life of peace and he gives peace away. You know what he promises to us? To those who say yes and lean in, he promises us. What do you think the answer is? <laughs> peace. Jesus was with his disciples the night that he gets arrested. And no doubt he was dealing, he knew it was coming. No doubt he was dealing with all these situations. But you know what he says to his disciples? He tells them that he has to go and he has to do this. And the disciples are like, why? We don't understand. I thought you were going to be the king. Like you were going to make us like, you, you, you know, your governors. What is going to happen to us? 
And notice what Jesus says in John 14, 27. He says this. He says, Peter, James, John, guys, I know you're stressed. I know you're anxious. I know you're worried. I know you're restless. But listen, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. What what kind of peace does the world give? It's temporary. Jesus says, I give you a lasting peace. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And you wonder, is that even possible? Is this just some cute little Bible story? Some of you may know the story of Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford wrote one of the most famous, um, most famous poems that turned, was turned into a hymn that we play from time to time. And as he was traveling on a ship across the Atlantic Ocean, passing right by the spot where his children perished, passed away, he had the peace to pen these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Could you imagine the look on his face? Peace only is possible through the Prince of Peace. Augustine, he was a fourth century bishop in Northern Africa, and he says this. He says that you have, he's speaking to God, he said, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And the idea is that what we, what we want when we try to find our own peace is control. So if you want to know where you're not giving up control to God, just look where you're most restless. And so what Augustine is saying, what Jesus is saying is, give me control, and then you can find peace. Yes, a nice bank account will give you peace for a while. A great 401k will give you peace for a while. A new relationship, it is exciting. It'll give you peace for a while. A great home, it's wonderful. It'll give you peace for a while. But Jesus says that that peace is just temporary. Last week, I was talking to Lorenzo's grandma, Emilia Menzor, out in the, in the lobby. And as you guys know, we've been praying for the Menzor family. Their house caught fire not long ago. The whole house burned down. They lost everything. And Amelia was sitting out there, and I, I walked up to her, and I, I, I just told her we're praying for her and wanted to tell her we want to love on you any way we can. And she looked at me, and she, I, I just, I, it can't, this is amazing. She looked at me, and she goes, you know, the news story got it wrong. And Lorenzo, I'm sure she's told you this a bunch of times. She said, the news story said we lost everything. Well, they did. She said, but you know what? We didn't lose our souls. And we didn't lose our lives. And we still have one another. And I thought, the peace that is beautiful. And isn't that the peace that we want that can go through any circumstance in life and yet be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And so I imagine the disciples are sitting here with Jesus and they're wondering this. They don't understand this yet. And they say, Jesus, how do we experience this peace then? This peace you live with us, the, the, the lasting peace, not this temporary peace, what does that look like? How do we even do this? And so just a couple of verses later, thankfully, Jesus gives us the answer. In John 15, 1, notice what Jesus says. He says, abide in me. He says, you want the peace? Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, if you're reading that, like me, you're like, Jesus, what is this weird, mystical, spooky thing you're talking about again, right? Like, Jesus, why are you always talking in riddles? But in an agrarian culture, this would have really made a lot of sense. A few years ago, back when Courtney and I were living in Kansas City, my cousin got married at a little winery called Les Bourgeois, and it was beautiful. They had this little outlook over the Missouri River, and it was about 105 in that Missouri heat. If you've been there before, like somebody turned the garden hose on your head, right? At least my hair looked good, so I didn't have to worry about that. And so we're at this beautiful place, but to get there, we're driving down these rows of vines, of this vineyard. And if you've ever been to a vineyard, you see this really this beautiful picture of grapes growing, and then there's a branch that's hanging on a line or you know, some kind of a fence, and then you've got the grapes. And for those grapes to grow, they have to be connected to the branch. For the branch to grow, it needs to be connected to the vine, because that's how the life source, that's how the energy connects to grow the grapes. You set that on the ground, and it can get be eaten by, by rabbits and wolves and whatever. I don't think there's wolves in Missouri, but coyotes, right? <laughs> Big dogs, deer. But there's this, like, this, this beautiful idea, like, unless you stay connected to the vine, that grape can't grow, but it's the branch that leads to the fruit. And so Jesus has given us this picture, right? Like, like you are like this branch. Your, your life... If you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, then you can have fruit in your life. It's like, Jesus is a really cool picture, but I don't understand how this works. What does this really look like? What's this connection between peace, you just talked about like three verses before, and now fruit? What is that? Well, I think there's a clue, and let me show you a picture of a vineyard real quick. This is cool. Just kind of give you like an idea. See, the grapes connected to the branch, and the branch connected to the vine. That big stake right there is the vine, and it's usually supported by some kind of a, of a structure behind it. And just beautiful, isn't it? And so, Jesus, what is the difference? What's this connection between a fruit and, and peace? And, and Paul tells us in Galatians 5.22, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you who've been around church for a while, you guys, maybe even if you were in Sunday school, you might have even learned this, right, in a little song to remember the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like the idea is like when you stay connected to Jesus, you can have this fruit in your life. But, but I want you to notice something. Look, look, look there. What does Paul say about this fruit? He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, does he? No, it's fruit. You ever notice that before? It's the fruit of the Spirit. We often say, oh, the fruits of the Spirit. No, it's fruit, meaning that you don't just get the fruit of patience. Man, I'm praying for the fruit of patience. God, give me an orange, right? It's not like that. You know, it's not like patience is an orange and, and peace is a grape and, you know, uh, self-control is an apple, and gentleness, whatever, right? It's, it's not like that at all. Instead, it's it's the fruit. So as you stay connected to Jesus, as Jesus is working through your life, as he is the life source, you begin to see peace, patience, love, loving, kindness, self-control, these things in your life. And so this is what Jesus is saying, that when you stay connected to his life energy, when you stay connected to him as the life source, we can have fruit in our life. And that fruit includes peace, the peace we need, the peace we want, the peace we desire. 
And the Apostle Paul says that God's plan for your life is that God wants to work in your present situation. God wants to give you a plan for your future. God wants to, you to know that you're going to live forever with him in eternity. And he wants to give you peace now. And that peace that he gives you now will slowly, over time, begin to change your life and make you look a little bit more, each and every single day, look a little more like Jesus. And the key to all of this, Jesus says, to have this fruit is to abide. Notice John 15, 5. Abide. Jesus says this, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what Jesus is saying, guys. Let me just break it down. He's saying that you can never have lasting peace without him. That he is the only one that will give you that sort of peace. And to get it, Jesus says you need to abide. Somebody say abide. abide. To abide means to live, to remain, to continue. So what does it mean to abide? Well, J.C. Ryle says that to abide means to keep up a habit of constant close communication with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. So like grapes that stay connected, we need to stay connected to Jesus because he is the life source for us. So what does that even look like? Well, the ancient Christians came up with a concept they called regula. Somebody say regula, which means pattern or rule. There's this idea of a trellis. See, the idea was that just like grapes growing on a vine that We need a trellis under our life to help hold us up, to give us a pattern, to give us a a, a rule of life. And and so this idea is that if if our, you know, if grapes lay on the ground, they're going to get eaten by big dogs, like we said. So we need something to lift them up. And the same goes for you and I in our pursuit of Jesus. It's what John Mark Comer would call rule of life. It's the support system that helps us abide to remain and continue in Jesus. And so the early Christians, the ancient Christians would look and say, well, what did Jesus do? Because I probably should do those things too. And so they started to say, I'm going to abide in Jesus by spending more time with Jesus, by opening his word, by spending more time with Jesus, by spending some time in prayer, by, by being around other believers who can encourage me to remain and continue and to abide. So essentially, what Jesus means is that we need to abide. We need to plug in our life. See, God has given each of us a light and a life. And it's, it's pretty, it's nice. But if we just leave our light sitting on the table, what is it going to do? It's going to look nice, maybe hanging on an ornament. But when we plug in that light, not only does our light shine, but our life gets brighter, our life gets warmer because we're connected to the power source. What happens when your phone stays in your hand too long scrolling through TikTok or Insta, right? It's going to die. You gotta plug that bad boy back in to give it a recharge. And the same goes with our life. If we're not plugged in to the Prince of Peace, 
The peace you experience is just going to be temporary. The lasting peace only comes from plugging in to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Every time you open your Bible, you're plugging into me. Every time you're praying, you're plugging into me. Every time you're spending time with another believer or you're at a life group or you're at church or you're together outside doing something, you are plugging into me. That's what it looks like to abide. When our oldest daughter, Emma, was, when Courtney was pregnant with Emma, we went in for the ultrasound, and Emma was just one of those babies that you just could never see anything, right? You'd go in, and they'd be like, I can't, I don't know. Boy, girl, we're not sure yet. You go in the second time, and they did an ultrasound, and they, they said, we just want to let you know, we see on her brain is a cyst. And it could go away, but it might not. And they said, um, so we're going to give it some more time. And we want to send you back in for a pointed ultrasound later. And so Courtney and I, as you can imagine, first-time parents, we, we went home and we were restless. I was anxious. I was worried. I was a little salty, right? But we decided we've got to abide. And so we just spent a lot of time praying, praying for our baby girl. We spent a lot of time asking God to heal her. We spent a lot of time asking that this just goes away, that it's not there when we go back. And it was crazy because we had this peace, and we couldn't really understand it. It didn't make sense. It's kind of like the peace that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, if you know the verse, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we, we go in for the pointed ultrasound, which if you've ever been in one of those, it's amazing. Like I saw the ventricles of her heart. I saw the hemisphere of her brain. I, like, I saw a lot, babe. <laughs> and the cyst was gone. Now, it's, it's often common for babies, we find out later, for babies to have a cyst and a cyst to go. Praise God it did. But praise God for that peace that we had while we waited. And I like to think that it was because we plugged in, and we were abiding, and he gave us the peace that only the Prince of Peace can give. And I don't know what you guys are walking through, what your challenge is right now in your life, or, or the restlessness that you feel, but I do know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he says that if you will plug in to him, you can have that same peace, the peace that he gives, the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that leads to you knowing that no matter what is going on in your life or how much the sea billows are rolling, you can say that it is well, it is well with your soul. This is the Prince of Peace. But here's the reality, guys, and I want to close with this. You can never truly abide in Jesus and have the peace that the Prince of Peace offers unless you know the Prince of Peace himself. I love what John says about this Prince of Peace. Because Christmas was all about the Prince of Peace making himself known to you and to you and to you and to me. And here's what John said. John 1.14. So the word, Jesus, the one who the Bible says spoke everything into existence. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. If you're here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus in your life, I want you to know the peace that Jesus offers is available to you. 
You just have to accept that free gift this Christmas. And for, us have, for those of us that have said yes to Jesus, and you're feeling that restfulness, restlessness, my encouragement to you is tonight and tomorrow and this week, plug in your light. Abide in him. And that peace can be yours as well. Would you pray with me?